Well, we should welcome one another to 2020, 2020. Can you imagine? It's here already. 2020. This is going to be a very eventful year. I think we all kind of sense that. Uh, each year has its own important events attached to it, but this year will be a very, very consequential year. We don't know exactly what all that means, but we do know that um, there are so many volatile places in the world and situations that uh, we know that the results of many things that have been put in motion, we'll see those happen in 2020. So we um, need to enter it very prayerfully, carefully, thoughtfully. I'll share a few thoughts with you this morning on I don't know exactly what banner or headline to use or title to use, but I'm thinking a little bit about covenants, covenant with God, the covenants that God has made with us. And I'm thinking about covenants and, and the covenants that God has made with promise, covenants. So I'll use that title as covenants of promise. Covenants, plural, various covenants. God has made in the Old Testament, of course, the New Covenant is the one that we that we are under, and uh, but it has uh, promises attached to it. So a covenant is an agreement, a very solemn agreement that you enter into with another person or with others. And uh, there are terms of covenants. Covenants have terms to them, and and there are promises attached to satisfying or fulfilling the terms of a covenant, their promises. And so God has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ, and and uh, there are promises attached to the covenant that he has made with us. And uh, as we move ahead now into 2020, and as we share a few thoughts this morning, I'd like to think a little bit about those promises that he has made, he has given those promises. If you will do this, if you will do this, if you will, if you will, I will, I will, I will. Well, the truth is he's already done. He's already satisfied the terms of the covenant. God, on our behalf, as God and as man, he has entered into a covenant with himself, representing both God and man, and has satisfied the terms of the covenant so that it is in our province to approach and receive and, uh, and by, by faith those terms of those covenants, of that covenant that he has made with us. But the promises attached to it, promises. And these uh, promises affect uh, who we are. They're not just promises that in terms of uh, what we will receive out here, but it actually affects who we are inside. And it affects the way we think and uh, the things that we believe, the way we process information. In other words, it could be summed up by uh, being born anew or born again or entering into a new life, being an entirely new person, being a new man. We've heard the expression many times that... Um, we should read the newspaper. We should uh, basically read a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. And apparently, that came from the original 
expression of that was by Karl Barth. Karl Barth, and this is what he said. He said you should take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret the newspapers from your Bible. So you should take both. Now, newspaper, at that time, newspaper, that's where the source of your news. And nowadays, the newspaper itself is probably one of the sources, but we have many sources. And for example, you have your iPad, you have your phone, you have all these different sources, your laptop, you have your computer, you have many different sources of information, including a newspaper. But the idea, he said, is that um, you should take your Bible and your newspaper or your source of information, and you should read both. Now, if you were to read the newspaper today, the source of information or the source of news, you know some of the things that you will read. And you will read about Iran today, and you'll read about the events that have occurred involving Iran. I won't go into a lot of detail about these because I think that's not necessary. But you'll read about repercussions. You'll read about something that was tantamount to a large stone, if you like, being tossed, launched into a pond that displaced a certain amount of water. Well, if you displace enough water in an ocean, you know what you'll have is a tsunami. Basically, that's what a tsunami is, is the displacement of tremendous amounts of water. So this is what we're seeing happen now is uh, ripple effects of a large pond, a, a large stone being tossed into a geopolitical pond and you have ripples going up from that consequences and implications and reactions and so if you read the newspaper source of information you'll read about these kinds of things you'll see turmoil and you'll see calamity and you'll see forest fires in uh, Australia and you look at pictures from space of Australia and you say, oh my, oh my. It appears almost as if the entire country is ablaze. And you'll see all of these different things. And you'll see uh, arguments and you'll see debates and you'll see nations divided from within, even on the most important subjects that at one time nations would gather together, a country would come into agreement basically on very important events, such as the recent event involving Iran. Uh, quite often then a nation will come together on events like that. They'll show a kind of national unity, and we don't see that. We don't see that. So we see all this, but what Karl Barth was saying, Karl Barth was born in 1886, he was born in uh, Basel, Switzerland. He died in Basel, Switzerland in 1968. And he is described as one of the most uh, influential theologians of the 20th century. He was a professor of, the of theology in Bonn, Germany, University of Bonn, for a number of years. And during the Nazi regime, he disagreed. He, he was opposed to the German National Socialism. And as a result of that, during that period of time when Hitler came to power in Germany, the churches and leaders of churches were required to swear an oath of allegiance to him, to Hitler, as the leader of the National Socialist Party. And of course, he refused to do that. 
and he spoke out in opposition to the Socialist Party, National Socialist Party in Germany. And he was suspended from his uh, position at the University of Bonn. And when he was suspended, of course, he returned back to Switzerland. And he remained in Switzerland until the end of the Second World War. And then he returned again to Germany and t would teach again there. But during the time of his absence from Germany, he wrote what is referred to as a monumental. It was called Church Dogmatics. And there were four volumes, at least four volumes he completed uh, what, what he referred to or titled Church Dogmatics. And so he was very influential. But again, he's talking about taking your Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. But he said, interpret the newspapers from your Bible. Now, if you'd like to uh, have uh, some idea of who, what he looked like and what he sounded like, he's speaking in a language that I don't understand, but I'll show you just a really short little video clip of Karl Barth. Here he is. And he's talking about revelation from the scriptures. I thought it might be kind of interesting to be able to see him, even though you may not, under and of course, there might be one or two here that could understand what he's saying, but... <laughs> but I can read it underneath and, and I'm satisfied that uh, that's actually what he's saying, although I can't be certain, but I'm, I'm satisfied he probably is. But he was a very important individual, very brave individual in many respects. He was, he was a very close friend of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian as well. Uh, very, very accomplished. Um, and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1945, I think in April or so of 1945, he was he'd been charged by the Nazis for collaborating with an attempt against Hitler. And he was, he was uh, executed by the Nazis in 1945, just a very few months before the end of the Second World War. That's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a very close friend with Karl Barth. They worked and collaborated together in many respects. But the idea, again, that he was talking about was make sure that while you're consuming information from your news media, news outlets, that at the same time as you're doing that, that you're reading your Bible and that you're interpreting all these things over here from the Bible and not the other way around. And that's what I think we want to do uh, this morning for a few moments. I think it's so easy for us sometimes to get caught up in the news that we get from the newspapers, if you like. To get caught up in those things and react to those things. I, I do that myself all the time. And because it's interesting and we want to know what's going on, and that's fine. Because, you see, his advice was read your newspapers, know what's going on. But that wasn't where his advice ended. But what I'm thinking about this morning with you is what is the role of the church? What is the role of believers? What is our role as Christians? Is there a political element to our lives? Yes, because we are citizens of countries. And we should be engaged as citizens and to the best of our ability and liberty involve ourselves according to the duties of citizenship. Yes, we should do that. So we should form opinions about what is appropriate and inappropriate that's going on in the political realm. But Fundamentally and primarily, our role is not political. And the covenants of promise are not based on politics. The covenants of promise are based on the gospel, the presentation of the gospel.
I'm basically saying that if you will submit and surrender yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, that He will, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will enter into a fellowship with you and will transform you from the inside and you will become a new man, a new man. And all of you together will become new men. And the idea of man I'm using generically here. New man, new woman, new child, new young, a new person in Christ Jesus. And the old things of your life will pass away. And, and everything will become new to you. And therefore, as things become new, then your priorities will change. And your view of what you read in the newspaper will change. I'll share a little bit with you from Ephesians. Just read a, a little bit about a little bit with you from Ephesians, and I'll I'll come begin in the second chapter, and around verse eleven. And what the apostle is doing now in writing to the believers in Ephesus is he's talking about. You see, they're all Gentiles for the most part, Gentile believers, and he's talking about what their lives used to be like. And he said basically, he said that in times past, he said you were called the uncircumcision. You were, you were called the uncircumcision. You weren't circumcised. What is circumcision is a mark in the flesh, something external. And you were called the uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision. And there was this great division between you and them. They were divided from you and you were divided from them. And they had covenants from God and you didn't have any. And he said, And at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. Strangers from the covenants that had promises attached to them. You weren't eligible for promises because you weren't eligible for the covenant that had those promises. No, they were, but you were not. So you had no hope, he said. He said, you have no hope and you were without God in the world. You were in the world, but you had no relationship with God. You had no promises from God. You had no covenant with God before. But now, he said, everything has changed. This is the apostles preaching. This is his teaching. Now everything has changed. And that's our teaching. That should be our preaching and our teaching too. Not just to be caught up in the things that the newspapers tell us, but to realize what our primary fundamental message is, that now in Christ Jesus, he said, you who were once far off are made near. You were brought near before you were far away from promises of God. Now you're brought near. How are you brought near? He said, by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? That means by the crucifixion, resurrection, of Jesus Christ. A very actual event which is actually the covenant that was entered into by God and man on your behalf. So you're brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, these promises, these promises now of this covenant that has been made on our behalf by the Lord Jesus Christ who identified with us so completely that he took our names upon himself and all the types, of course, of the Old Testament verify how the high priest 
would bear the names of the nation of Israel, while Christ Jesus, the great high priest, would bear the names of the world upon himself. In the sense that what he did, he did for them. By name, with full full knowledge of them. This means you, and this means me, and this means all those individuals with whom we would disagree politically. And this means all those individuals who are the most evil terrorists in the world, who are the most despicable, acting in the most despicable of ways in the world, and who are responsible for outrageous crimes and mistreatment of their fellow men. But this atoning sacrifice has been made for them. Now that doesn't mean, that does not negate the rule of law. And that does not negate the right of government to protect themselves. But what it means is that even as we read the newspaper and even as we vote for those who are most likely to protect us and even as we support that protection when it's necessary, at the same time we realize that the greatest message in the world is a covenant that has promises attached to it. And those promises are without personal favoritism of any individual or race or or people. They apply to all. And what they do, what those promises do, is that they come in and actively operate on the inside of the person who will surrender himself or herself to the claims of the gospel, which is to the lordship of Jesus in their life, confessing their sins and receiving him as Lord and Savior. And that then the promises become effective in the life of the person so as to transform the person from the inside. He said, and and so his main thought here is the division between Jews and Gentiles. And he goes on and he says, for he, that is Christ Jesus, he is our peace, making us both one, and he has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He said, having abolished in his flesh, in his own person, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. This is the idea. There's a new kind of man that he has made. And the the description of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or his body in the earth, the church believers who represent Christ in the earth, are identified as one new kind of humanity. It's a whole new kind of humanity. This is the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 that is prophesied. And this is the fulfillment of it. So he said he would make the two, that is Jew over here and Gentile over here, and bring them together in himself. This is a fantastic thought. It's not He doesn't bring them together by having them all sit down at a table and discuss their differences. Right? It's not... It's not a peace that is brought about by education. It's not a peace that is brought about by trying to say, now you try to put yourself in his place. Now you you try to put yourself in in their place and and see if you have anything common. You have any commonality, something you can agree upon together. You know, this kind of thing. It's not that way. It's where the Jew over here enters into this life-changing relationship with Christ himself 
And on the inside of the Jew over here, Christ operates by the Spirit and by his word to transform and change him so that he thinks differently and acts differently, behaves differently. His, everything is changed in him. And he does the same in the Gentile over here because the Gentile has entered into Christ. The Jew has entered into Christ. And the two of them are one in him. That's it. They're one in him. But it's not an external thing. The, the change is not brought about by anything external. It's not brought about by anything like that. It's brought about by a simple acceptance of the terms of the covenant by the Jew, by the Gentile, which results in entering into this dynamic relationship with Christ, which is ongoing and continues moment by moment, day by day, and is continuing right now. And the terms continue. And the surrender needs to continue moment by moment by moment by moment, day by day by day. The surrender must continue. The confession or the repentance for transgression or for sin must continue moment by moment, day by day by day. It's not that we don't make any mistakes. It means that when we do make a mistake or transgress in some way, we confess it as sin immediately. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin as we continue to live this way. And then when that happens, we're, brought, we're made one. And so he said, he continued and writes, and so that he might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain or put to death the enmity between them in himself. Oh, this is the greatest news. This is the greatest news. This is why Karl Barth said, interpret all those things you read in the newspaper by the scriptures, by the Bible. Interpret them by the Bible. And says, so that, again, so that he might reconcile both the God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity in himself. I wrote down a name here. The name is Qasem Soleimani. I wrote the name here. Because you know what the name is. You know that he instantly died in an explosion of a missile launched from a drone just a couple of days ago. You know that he's a military leader in Iran. You know that he was responsible for many attacks against America and against many people, including people within Iran itself. You know that there was a brutality involved in him and the way he managed his life. And you know that he is responsible for surrogates of Iran all throughout the Middle East and various parts of North Africa and various parts in the world. And you know that he's a very dangerous person. And you know that. And someone determined that it was necessary for him to be removed. And he was removed. But what I'm saying is our primary message is not that. Are we aware of all that? Yes. And do we take a position with regards to some of these things from a citizenship standpoint? Yes, you're permitted to do that as a citizen. Yes, you are. But what comes first is your citizenship in heaven, your relationship with Christ Jesus. That's the first and primary role. And having said all that about him and that our understanding of him, I say to you again, 
is that what Christ Jesus did for humanity, he did for him. He did for him. And our primary responsibility as believers is to communicate that message, including to people like him. And there are many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people like him. And some much worse than he. But our primary responsibility is to proclaim the gospel of Christ, which is capable of having a person such as himself brought into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in which everything changes. And this is happening in Iran by the thousands, by the thousands. And I think this is something about what Karl Barth was intending when he said, take your newspaper, but take your Bible and interpret the newspaper by the Bible, not the other way around. The apostle said, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom every building having been fitly framed together grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, and this is the description of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth. And its role is to manifest the head, who's Christ. His ways, his values, his ways of thinking, his power and his authority, according to the gifts that are given unto us. And the promises, this promises is that the grace you need to be who you are called to be will be given to you. Grace means the enablement. The enablement to be who you are called to be will be given unto you. It's like as if you're a business and you hire somebody and you give them a, assign them a, a job in your business, a place in your business, and you educate them and instruct them and provide them with the tools they need to successfully satisfy the requirements of that job you give, have given them. So you enable them to be successful. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit of grace. Grace enables the believer to be successful according to the calling on his or her life to be successful, to be who you're called to be. These are the promises. And it operates internally. It operates on the inside. He goes on and he says, For through him we uh, both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Here is the, one of the verses in the Bible that describes the Trinity, if you like, or the plurality of the Godhead, if you, will, if you like. For through him, that is Messiah Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. And now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Again, just to reread, in whom every building having been fitly framed together grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. 
in whom you are also are built together for a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Now, a little bit later on in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the believers in Ephesus, a little bit later on we find in the fourth chapter, he talks about a new life. There's so many things he discusses. He talks about when the Lord Jesus descended and how he ascended again to heaven and how he, le- he led a train of vanquished foes and how he gave gifts to men. Mankind, he gave us gifts. And some of the gifts he gave, he gave us were the gifts that permit the church, his body on the earth, body of believers to grow and mature into the maturity of this new man that he designed us to be, this new kind of humanity that he designed us to be and to mature in that so that we're not left just as babies or infants or juveniles, but that we can actually grow as believers into a level of maturity. And we do that by receiving from the various gifts that he gives us through apostle and prophet and evangelist and pastor and teacher, these gifts allow the church individual members to mature and develop and so that we become basically in the image of Christ himself, the image and likeness of himself. Another way of saying that is that so that we would be able to represent him in the earth more as he really is, more as he really is, more fully. And so he's talking about this and he comes in about verse 17 of that fourth chapter and he says, uh, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should walk or live. You should walk or live. Now again, he's just talked about the maturing of the believers, the maturing of the church maturing of Christians, and he says that that maturing will result in you walking or living from now on, as on other nations, from, uh, you should walk from now on as other nations walk, excuse me, that you should not walk, I said, that didn't sound right, that you should not walk from now on as other nations walk, you should not live as others live, he said in the vanity of their mind. Now you're going to see now, there's two different kinds of humanity. There's two different kinds of humanity. And let me insert this thought just before I read. That in Second Thessalonians, it talks about the man of sin, the great falling away, or the great apostasy, and saying basically the second coming of Messiah, or the day of the Lord, will not happen until that great apostasy has occurred that there's something that restrains it, and when that which restrains it is removed, then the great apostasy will be manifested. Now, this is basically two different kinds of humanity. The apostasy is the manifestation of a man of sin, the kind of humanity is characterized by lawlessness, whereas the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a new kind of humanity that's characterized by Christ himself. So he said, you should not walk as the nations walk in the emptiness of their mind, having the understanding darkened. I'm just going to say, ask you to think about the reasons why the state of affairs that you read in your newspapers exist. Why is it such a mess? Why? You perceive, you may say to yourself when you listen to certain people in their political need to 
be partisan. And you may say to yourself in some things, I can't believe that person actually believes what they're saying. Have you ever found yourself, you're listening to somebody from a just a partisan political expression, and you say to yourself, does that person really believe that? Surely they don't believe that themselves. Because they appear to be otherwise rather rational, intelligent people. I can't believe that they really believe that themselves. <clears throat> what the apostle is describing is a state of in, in hum, human beings that are not in right relationship with Christ and do not have his promises and are not being renewed in his image or likeness. And he's talking about this depravity that exists in a fallen humanity. And he says they have the understanding is darkened. He said they're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. What he's actually saying is that when the heart becomes blind, the spirit becomes blind, then the intellect and the understanding become darkened. You may listen to certain people and they're advocating certain positions and, and philosophies and lifestyles and all kinds of things and you say, this is insanity. But it's because the heart is darkened. They're not insane. Otherwise, they're very intelligent people. But there's a darkening somewhere and their understanding is darkened. But why is their understanding darkened? Because of the blindness of their spirit. Their spirit is blind. He said, for their past feeling, they have given themselves up to lust, to workers, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And this is a key thought here. He says that you were taught by him. See, the reason for the change in the believer to become a new person, like in likeness of the Savior, is because that person is taught by him. So how does he do that? He teaches you by his word, by his spirit. He teaches you on the inside. That's what the change, that's why you change. That's the new kind of humanity. He said, for you ought to put off the old man according to your way of living before, who is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is what happens to the believer. And this could have happened. And the provision was made for this to happen to Qasim Suleimani and so many other millions of people like him. See, that provision has been made. Why is it not happening? Well, there's two reasons why it's not happening. One is because the gospel message has not been brought to them in the power of the Holy Spirit or the gospel message has been brought to them in the power of the Holy Spirit and they have rejected it. One of those two. That's why. Because people reject it, should, we, should it not be taken? No, it must be taken. But it must be taken in the power of the Holy Spirit. It must not be taken as an argument. It must not be taken just as a philosophy. It must not be taken just simply as a historical document. It must be taken as absolute truth with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, he goes on and he says, you should put on the new man, put on the new man. This is this new creation in Christ Jesus who according to God was created in righteousness and true holiness. 
Therefore, putting away lying, let each man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And it says, when angry, do not sin. This is the kind of anger you see that's not sinful. I'd like to say all my anger is not sinful, but that's not true. I can't say that. But it's possible to be angry, a kind of a anger that's pure and not sinful. That's what he's saying. Let your anger be without sin. He said, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't hold grudges. See, the nature, the way you're taught by Christ is not to hold grudges. So we don't not hold grudges just because we decide, well, you know, I shouldn't hold the grudge. Therefore, I'm going to let this go. That's not the way it works. To agree with the truth is good. But we're not changed because we just agree. We're changed because of the dynamic of the Word of God operating on the inside of us. That's what changes us. He changes us. These are the promises of the covenant. That's what they are. He said, don't give place to the devil. Don't give him any place. And he said, let the person who used to steal stop doing it. Rather, let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good. Make sure that what he's working at is good. <laughs> don't let it, you see, it's not just to have a job. It's to have a job that's good. So don't, because it tells you to work with your hands, don't go into the saloon and start. <laughs> Make sure that what you do is good so that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let not any filthy word go out of your mouth. But if any is good to the building up in respect of need, that it may give grace to the ones hearing. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. And the way of grieving him is to is to ignore or to not respond appropriately to his urging and to his leading. Don't do that. Don't get too caught up in the newspaper. You, you know, you got your newspaper we newspaper out. Consuming all this information. Don't 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 do that too much. Make sure you got your Bible out, and are consuming the Spirit and the Word from the Scripture. It's going to help us to interpret what we receive through the news. He said. He closes this thought with, "Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And this is what you will do. This is what we will do." according to the working of his power within us. We don't do these things just because we decide to. We do these things because of his influence. And this is the nature, this is the fruit of his influence. The great apostasy is the falling away from this new man. That's what the great apostasy is, is the falling away from this. Will there come a time when there would be a great, significant falling away? The apostles said the time would come when that would occur. And that has occurred, and that is occurring. I want to close with something that um, I want to encourage everyone, but I want to encourage a couple of our uh, a couple of our young men. I can call I can call most everybody here a young man. There might be a couple that I can <laughs> that have a little seniority to me, but not too many. <laughs> but I can call you all young men. Let's forget about this seniority. I'll call you all young men to be young in the Lord. You know what I mean? Not just Maturity, young and maturity, but to be young in years with him because you'll never grow old. 
in your relationship with him. So I, I listened to a little news clip a couple of days ago of, uh, and it involved a couple of you. And I wanted to, now I want to, I want to set this here. I, I would never say anything like this to puff you up because you don't need to be puffed up, but you need to be encouraged. Like you all, we all need to be encouraged. It's good to encourage each other. And I wanted to say, as I as I watched that involving the maple syrup bush and the and the threat uh, from the weather, the ice, uh, the freezing rain, followed by snow. And so CTV from Sudbury, CTV Sudbury came and interviewed a couple of you, and you talked to them about it. And I wanted just to say that the way you presented yourselves to them in that news. See, this is the newspaper in one hand. See. The way you presented yourselves and the way you presented the information was admirable and uh, heartwarming, very encouraging. There was um, a lot of information that was given, even some information I was unaware of. I didn't know how close the industry, this is the maple syrup industry, because it comes from the maple trees. And if those maple trees are stripped of their branches and become just, what was the term you used? Stems. Stems. Then that's not going to be good, is it? And apparently something like that had happened previously in southern Ontario. And what you were saying was we weren't too far away from the possibility of that happening, and that would have been catastrophic to the industry here. Well, see, I hadn't really thought about that. I knew it would be, wouldn't be good, but I hadn't thought about it in... So that educated me, and then you had over 300, you said over 300 kilometers of line, and you got to, every foot of that has to be examined. And I thought, wow, I didn't know you had that many kilometers of line. And I mean, that's, that's, that's a big challenge. But so it was very informational, but the tone was, was excellent. And even in a very natural way, the Lord was given thanks for the avoidance of that catastrophe, thanks to the Lord. And it was done very, uh, it was done in a very real way. Uh, It wasn't imposed, it was done just naturally and very real. And when that happens, see what that says to me, I'm a critic, okay? And by critic, I don't mean finding fault all the time, but I do critique things all the time, including myself. But, Pat said, uh, no, you can't. <laughs> but, but just to evaluate is a better word, to evaluate. Um, I said, um, that, was, that was informational, that was thoughtful, not only in terms of how it affected you but how it, and your business, but how it affected others on the island and their business. And how that some others who were involved in it in more of a, part-time way would find perhaps difficult to find the time to do the work necessary to clean up the mess that resulted from the falling twigs and parts that did fall and things like that and it was done very thoughtfully and the one thing is uh, the way the uh, uh, the way the interviewer conducted it and the way they put the report out I thought was done well the video that accompanied it was done well and so I got the impression, if I didn't know you, 
at all. The impression I would come away with was, here are Christian men who are in a business and they know the past and they know the present and they are aware of the future. And they are workers, because you could see that. They're workers. And even the little work that they videoed you doing was done with enthusiasm and energy. And the steps were purposeful, like all these little things. But if I didn't know anything about you, I would say there is a business that is in good hands. So if any of you are senior in that enterprise, you've done a good job of replacing yourselves when the time comes. You've done a good job. Those of you that haven't seen it, Pat's going to show you now. The recent winter storm and heavy snow that caused power outage in the Sioux this week also hit nearby St. Joseph Island pretty hard. There were freers there on the island that there could damage could affect some of the local maple syrup businesses, but today property owners say they got to look at things and it's not as bad as they thought. More from CTV's Jairus Patterson. Kelvin and Kyle Gilbertson are cleaning up the debris left from the ice storm from earlier this week. So in my lifetime, uh, I haven't seen an ice storm this bad in this area. About half an inch of ice build up on the branches, which put an extra weight on the limbs and they all started bending down and breaking. And then we got uh, probably six to eight inches of heavy wet snow. The Gilbertsons run the largest maple syrup operation in Ontario. When the storm was at its peak this week, Kelvin was having flashbacks to 1998 when a winter storm devastated the industry in eastern Ontario. And producers here on St. Joseph Island were afraid they would suffer the same fate. They had to log sugar bushes off. We were close to that. We were probably within another eight hours of wet snow or rain. We would just have stems left in the bush for trees. But thank the Lord we didn't get that. And it come around and it's looking pretty good. From the naked eye, it appears no big trees were destroyed in the storm. But the Gilbertsons won't know for sure until they check them all out. So we got over 300 kilometers of line that we'll have to walk every foot of it and take limbs off it and pick it back up. The Gilbertson sale will take up to six weeks to make sure all of the lines are fixed, and that's with the help of their staff. For some small maple syrup producers on the island, it will take much longer. It probably hits them the worst because uh, they don't have the extra help, and uh, lots of those people, they have other jobs, you know, making maple syrups a side business. And uh, to be able to find the time to go out and invest that into the sugar bush, uh, you know, it takes a lot of effort and uh, long days. And the Gilbertsons say 200,000 litres of maple syrup is produced on the island each year. So had there been another day of cold temperatures, the local economy could have been crippled. Now all attention will turn on cleaning up the broken limbs and trees before getting the sap flowing in a couple of months. Jairus Patterson, CTV News, St. Joseph Island. So I just wanted you know, to uh, encourage you and, and recognize, I think it's good to recognize that, and because there's a teaching, there's something that um, I think comes out of that that's very important, and that is you have to be, you know, the, the idea of being a Christian is, is to be a Christian. Be a Christian. You be a Christian. The doing, the fruit, in other words, of the Christian life is expressed as a consequence of being a Christian. And, and this is where the problem is oftentimes, is, that, is not understanding that I have to be a Christian, I have to be a believer. 
It's not about anything out here that I do, first and foremost. It's who I am, first and foremost. What I do and what I say will be the fruit of who I am. And when the time comes, there will be an opportunity to speak and to share. And, and you have opportunities all the time. This is not the only opportunity. This is one of thousands of opportunities we have. But who we are will not be hidden. Welcome to 2020. May the Lord bless you, keep you and guard you, and prosper your way as we move into this new year.